Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I started two weeks ago teaching on righteousness, which is basically a spin-off of the work that Pastor Tom and I do has done in 23 sessions in his church at Santon on the doctrine, redefining the doctrine of, of righteousness. I would encourage you to review those 23 sessions. In fact, if you haven't got it already, don't leave this place today unless you take a CD with you. Don't worry about the payment. Give the money when you can. There's a CD there. I managed to get all 23 sessions of what Pastor Thamo has taught on righteousness, and I put it onto one CD. There's 23 sessions on one CD. Why is it imperative for you to listen to that? It's because I can't do what he has done because it'll take too long. But it's good that you be exposed to his word on the subject. What we do here locally in church was simply to amplify and consolidate a few concepts. Amen? That's my heart. And so that is essential listening. If you're a husband and wife and you have two separate cars, take one for each car. It's that important. Right? Take one for your hi-fi system in your lounge. Take one for your car if you have to. All I'm begging the church to baptize your mind in the Word. There's nothing that's going to give you success if it's not going to be the Word of God. Okay? Marinate everything about you in God's Word. Baptize your context with the Word of the Lord and see what the Lord will do. Amen? Why are we doing the subject of righteousness? Why? It's important to understand why. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says the following, For if by the transgression of one death reigned through the one, much more those who received two things, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Will reign in one through, through or through the one G, or Jesus Christ. Come on. Through one transgre- transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through the act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Verse 19, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even through the obedience of one, many will be made righteous. The law came in so that transgression would increase, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So then, as sin, watch this, as sin reigned in death, grace will reign through righteousness. Say this with me, grace reigns through righteousness. Say it again, grace reigns through righteousness. My thing is, I want more of this. I want more grace, but grace is king. You reign, it means you're king. Grace is king within the culture of righteousness, so that if you can attain righteousness and perfect righteousness, grace finds an ideal context in which to couch, to sit well, and to increase in that domain. Now, it's very important for you to understand the basics of this. So today's message 
is going to be just that. It's going to be extremely basic. Everyone say we're back to basics today. Because if you don't understand the basics, in fact, the basics determine what follows works itself out. It's like the foundation of a house. You have to ensure the foundation is built properly for you to accurately erect the walls, the roof, and the edifice. The edifice is erected in reference to the foundation and not outside of the foundation. So elementary things. Everyone say elementary things. Elementary school, that's what the Americans call their primary school. We call it primary school here. In America, you hear the term, are you at elementary school? If Hebrews 6 says, leaving the elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ. Primary school or things elementary are not unimportant. They simply mean first things. So you will never solve an algebraic expression in high school until in primary school or elementary school, you've learned the discipline of one plus one is equal to two. And two plus two, remember, is equal to four. And done. Remember, that's how I was drilled. Now, you know the joke where the guy didn't know his maths? And, he said, and the teacher said, Johnny, say it. He said, da, 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 da. And the teacher said, what are you saying? He says, I don't know the words, but I know the tune. <laughs> <laughs> My point is, trigonomic expressions or significant calculus problems at university are solved on the basis of what was established in your life in its elementary phase. The things elementary are critical to develop higher order things. No one jumps, you don't give a calculus problem to a four and five year old. You will drill them in the rudimentary in what is called first things or elementary things. So this is righteousness 101. Righteousness 101. Now, I'm going to read tons of scripture because it's critical. Please, in the back of your mind, have two statements or two concepts here. The one concept is uh, positional righteousness. Everyone say positional righteousness. And that we'll call righteousness as a gift. It's called the gift of righteousness. On the, that'll be the elementary primary school level. But the higher order would be practical righteousness. Everyone say practical righteousness. Right? Practical righteousness or perfected righteousness would be the thing. Now, could you do, let me explain it very simply, then we'll read the scriptures. Could you do anything of your own to get saved? Yes or no? No, you could not, right? In fact, your, the Bible says your, your attempts to do good works will be like filthy rags in God's sight. Your, the Bible says your works of righteousness will be like filthy rags in God's sight. Okay? So you needed to receive, listen carefully, you needed to receive the work that Christ had already done on your behalf for you to be reinstated into relationship with God and be reconciled to Him. Ephesians chapter 2, let's read that. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says the following. Before we read it, let me redefine what righteousness is. You should have known the definition by, by now, okay? Remember, we, we define righteousness as this. 
It is this. It's the eternal, predetermined, approved standard or design of God for how the sons of God should exist and behave on the earth. Everyone say righteousness is the predetermined, approved design of God or template for how the sons of God should exist and behave in the earth. Okay, so it's compliancy. Everyone say compliancy. You want to be compliant to heaven's way or requirement on a matter. In the first instance, when man sinned, man became separated from God. So the intent was, how can man, how can you and I be reconciled to God? I'm suggesting to you, the design or template, the predetermined design and template of God for how men should exist and behave on the earth in terms of first being reconciled to Him cannot be because of man. Cannot be by virtue of what you would do. Cannot be by virtue of what you could produce in terms of goodness or self-righteousness to be acceptable to God. Because the sin nature forever scarred your being and alienated you, the Bible says, from the life of God. Sin separated you from the life of God. And it's not a matter of you trying to draw out, to, to be reconciled to Him, to please Him, and to be accepted by Him. Let me just say this. The standard in terms of the predetermined standard for all of God, for how all men should exist and behave, in that respect would be, God expects you, to be reconciled to Him, but you have to come by the design. Everyone say there is a way. So there's a way that God has planned for men to be righteous in all respects. In the first instance, in reference to positional righteousness, God did the work. It wasn't left to you. In fact, people often say, I found the Lord. No, correctly stated, He found you. Right? It's not like you are searching. No, the search was from God's perspective. Because here's God. He looks at fallen men, unredeemed, wrecked in sin. And man in and of himself is powerless to be reconciled to God. It takes an act of God to demonstrate his love to the man and give that man an opportunity to be reconciled to him. And your initial reconciliation in salvation is not dependent upon you entirely. It's all an act of God. It requires your response. But it, the, the, the work, the Bible says in Romans, while we were yet dead. Not so? In sin, who died for us? Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. When did he die for us? Everyone say, while we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners and alienated from the life of God. So Jesus Christ was given and he paid the price for your sin and for, and for my sin. The gospel message was presented to us. And we had a revelation of how much he loves. And the price that he was prepared to go through to redeem me. Remember what Matthew said to us when he preached here. A few weeks ago, that the value, he said, placed upon men, the value that God attributes to you, was so high that the cost associated with the cross 
was worth it. He paid a high price for you and I. Yeah? He could have sent, God did not send an angel to redeem and God sent him. God sent himself. So listen to me very, very carefully. Romans 5.17. Okay, let's just finish this. I'm all over the place now. Romans 5.17. We'll come back to that in a moment. This text says, say by grace are you saved, right? Now, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Everyone say gift of God. The gift of God is the gift of righteousness. I need you to say these things because theologically we don't know some of the basic things. And I'll show you in the next weeks. These elementary things condition the higher order things. Everyone say, by grace, through faith. Say it again, by grace, through faith. Right? You have been saved. It is the gift of God. It is nothing to do with, our, with ourselves. It is the gift of God through faith. Man does have a responsibility to believe and to respond to what Christ did. He doesn't save you without your permission. He saves you. You have to make a decision and re respond to that. Okay? So, everyone say it's a gift. Say salvation is a gift. Say righteousness is a gift. Now, if you read further, it says in verse 9, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. If it was our own works that saved us, guess what? We have reason to boast. Can you boast that you got saved on your own works? Can you? No? How many are grateful for the mercy and the grace of God? Yeah? If left to ourselves, we were hell-bent on the way to hell, except for the mercy and the grace of God. And God did it so, so that no human can boast and say, God, I got saved, reconciled to you by my own personal ambition, by my own efforts. It's not of works. It's all by grace through faith that you have been saved. But that's true. Now remember I said to you, keep two realities in front of you. This is very important. Please, you must track with me. If you lose me today, you'll be lost for the next few weeks. Today is critical. It's elementary week. But we're going to pick certain things that will be developed later on and it's going to explode and you will see the power of salvation in your life. I guarantee you. And grace will reign. Who wants reigning grace? What we need is God, the empowerment of God to fuel us to, to do what we are called to do. Okay? Remember the two realities are, everyone say positional righteousness. That's what I'm talking about. You could do nothing. It was given to you as a gift, not based on what you could do or not do. Okay? The other extreme is, everyone say practical righteousness or say perfected righteousness. Right? Now, here's the thing. Works could not save you. Works cannot save you. But once saved, you... Before you were saved, your works couldn't save you. You were saved by grace through faith. But once saved, your works energized by the same grace that saved you will determine where you will be tomorrow. It has an impact on how you grow in Christ. So are you called to do good works? Yes. Tell someone yes. It wasn't left up to you. 
by what you did or did not do to be saved. By grace through faith, a gift positionally righteous. But to grow in it practically, position must become practice. What you claim to be true of you positionally must now be practically expressed behaviorally. Must see the effects of what happened positionally must now become practice. But now in your practice of the thing, your good works become very important. When I say works here, just I'm not talking about doing good works of charity, helping the poor. I'm talking about your outward behavior. Please remember this when I reference works. I'm talking about your general behavior and attitude. It's both what you think and what you, you do. That becomes very critical. Once you're in the kingdom, you are God's son. What you do now will determine how you grow in Christ and where you land up in Christ. So, listen, the next verse tells you actually. If I go back to verse 8, it says... You have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. And then verse, verse 9 says, not as a result of. So works didn't save you, but, so you can't boast. But the very next verse says what? The very next verse says, we are what? We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For works. Works couldn't save you, but He saved you by grace created you for good works. Okay? Now, my thing is, what you do now that you are saved, and this, let me just finish this, it says, good works which God did what? Prepared beforehand so that we should do what? You know what I'm seeing everywhere I travel? The doctrine of hyper grace is gaining momentum. That simply means the belief is this. I am saved by grace and not by works. It's not me, it's all him. I could do nothing. I can't boast. Therefore, nothing I can do can save me. So yes, I received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm saved. I'm in the kingdom. But now that I'm in the kingdom, if it was all by grace and not by works, then I don't need to follow God's design for how all men of God should behave themselves in the earth. I don't need to do good works so I can have same-sex marriages and God will accept me. I can lie, cheat, and steal knowing that God is always gracious. I don't need to bring every department of my life and, 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 and let God's predetermined, approved, eternal uh, design for how men should behave on the earth. I can, I, can, I can fob off certain key principles and live life as a son of God, knowing I'm going to heaven, knowing he will always accept me. What I do means nothing. My works mean nothing. No, no, no. Your works mean everything. And I will prove to you from the scriptures that what God did in your life, that you attained positionally, could be lost by how you behave practically. Positional righteous as your status as God's son, could be lost if practically in your behavior you don't embark upon the design, the template for how all men should live. A simple example is one. There are many which we'll, we'll talk about over the next few weeks. Please remember the overarch. Everyone say remember the, the grand narrative. What's the overarch? The overarch is grace reigning in 
So positionally I am righteous, having received the gift of righteousness, but if I don't translate positional realities to practical behavior, I compromise the very thing called righteousness in which grace is meant to thrive. So what do I forfeit in the process? Grace. And if you are graceless, grace deficient, you're going to do nothing for God very quickly. Now, with that reality, or let me give you a simple example. When you were alien from God, person of the world, didn't serve God. He said, God, please forgive me for my sin. I repent. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that God raised him from the dead. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth that he is Lord. Therefore, I am a Son of God. John 1.12, as many as received him, he gave thee right to be called the the Son of God, even to those that believe on His name, you call all, they say, yes, no problem. I am in, in the kingdom. Hallelujah. Wonderful, but listen to me. Now you're in the kingdom, right? And someone hurts you. Someone hurts you badly. And you adopt a, a bitterness develops in you. And you become resentful and angry at the person. And the person comes to ask you for forgiveness and you don't forgive the person. Publicly, the Bible says, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. That's serious. Positionally, you are righteous. But watch, you are not compliant with the design. Anyone say design? You see, righteousness is a design for how all men of God should live on the earth. There's a design for your marriage, a design for your workplace. A design for how you should treat your children. In the design for how you should treat someone that has hurt you, in that department you're declared unrighteous. But that is a critical, critical repercussion to how the Heavenly Father then views you from now onwards. You could lose your salvation, attained positionally, because of an inappropriate behavior practically in some respect. Things can be lost. Everyone say things can be lost. You know what the Bible says of Judas? Here's a classic example. How can you walk with Christ for three years? Hear all the things you saw all the things he did and still sell him for 30 pieces of silver? You know what the book of Acts describes him? It says, and Judas lost his estate. He fell from something that was given to him, a right and inheritance in God. Okay? Demas, Paul said about Demas, sad verse. Demas has forsaken me. Having what? Having loved this present world. Demas was saved. Demas was a child of God. But if you love the world, and what does John says? Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. What is in the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Don't tell me you are saved positionally and going to heaven. All well. But if behaviorally, you embark consistently in an unrepentant fashion on things, on desires, on things that are designed to kill what you've attained spiritually. You could lose it. I'm saying this because, you know, when, when I, I started preparing this focus on the plane coming back, I had other things concerning righteousness to speak about. And just on the plane, I mean, it was, we jumped in the plane at 9 o'clock yesterday morning. It's a two-hour flight to Johannesburg. Had a lay over there. Another hour 
back here to Durban, and all the plane rides at my laptop open. And I'm thinking about, I was just mulling over initially of the word for today. And the Lord said, go back to elementary things first. Before you deal with those things, they will not make sense if the people don't understand these things. Yeah? So John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. But the things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of, of life, these are in the world. And as God says very clearly, I'll talk to these scriptures lately, whoever loves the world, the love of the Father does not abide in him. And who is John writing to? He's not writing to unsafe people. The letters of John are addressed to the church. And the instruction to the church is, do not love the world. Yeah? I'll explain that later. Because God so loved the world. <laughs> he gave his. The two worlds, they are two different concepts all together. Okay? Do not love the principles, the way in which the world is going. If ever you need to divorce yourself from sin, if ever you need to stand away from any appearance of evil, now is the time, brethren. Now is the time to give expression to what you've attained practically. Okay? Now is the time for absolute clear distinctions in your life between what is good and bad, what is integrous and what lacks integrity, what is pure and what is impure, what is evil and what is good. Now is the time to make a clear distinction and decide which way you are going. For I dare to say this, you might be deceived that you are in the faith when you are actually not in the faith. And the Bible is very clear. Every man must do what? Test himself, the Bible says, to see whether he is in the faith. I'm seeing globally right now. Listen to me. I speak as a prophet of God. I'm seeing globally right now, there's thousands and millions of people thinking that they are saved, have a relationship with God, and think they have an eternal, the eternal destiny is safe, when in actual fact, self-deception, and not based to them, self-deception based upon what preachers are telling them, and leading millions and millions of people astray. You are not you are not the righteousness of God in Christ. I'll explain that later. You are becoming the righteousness of God in Christ. That's 2 Corinthians. Just go there quickly, Luke. 2 Corinthians 5.21. The word is ginomai. He made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might, what? What does the Bible say? So that we might become... The righteousness of God in Christ, Jesus. So watch. The word become here is the Greek word ginomai. Everyone say ginomai. And if you study ginomai, if you're using strongs as your primary reference, or thea, or uh, amounts, or zodiatis. There's four main Greek scholars I use extensively. If you track their definitions of this word, ginomai, you will come to this conclusion. It implies not an event, but a process. It implies, Thayer actually says, it's the manner of coming into being or coming into existence in a thing. So everyone say, it's progressive. Come on, say, it's progressive. 2 Timothy 3.16, quickly. I'm going to fly through scriptures now because of time. Quickly, 2 Corinthians 3.16. If you say that 
I am righteous. You should be saying that, but referencing what? Positional righteousness. Righteousness is a gift in that respect. Not so? The gift of righteousness was given to you that put you in right standing with, with God. But growth in righteousness is something all different altogether. The one aspect, if you're theologically minded, the one concept is justification. Yeah? You put right with God. The development concept is sanctification. Progressively, you are sanctified through time until you come to the fullness of the image of the stature that belongs to Christ. This text says all scripture. Everyone say all scripture. Come on, say it again. All scripture. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for what? For four things. Scripture is good for. Everyone say four things. What are the four things that scriptures are profitable for? Number one, say teaching. Say doctrine. King James says profitable for, for doctrine which we are intensely focused on in this church. Secondly, say reproof. Say correction. And fourthly, say training in righteousness. If you are righteous, you don't need to be trained in it. But this verse is telling me the righteousness we've attained from Christ is a gift, positionally righteous, but now practically I need to be coached. Joash got a coach, I think. Do you still have a coach? In athletics. Is not a coach valuable? Yeah? A coach takes your ability, he sees potential, but he sees present behavior or present uh, form and function in the athlete is not going to attain the potential that the athlete possesses that the coach knows by discernment, who's of a trained eye. So what the coach does, the coach will, will subject the athlete to orders, to ways of doing things. He's instilled within, do it like this, watch this, watch that. So who is the coach for righteousness? According to this verse, who is your coach in righteousness? The Word of God. Tell someone, the Word is my coach. Don't fire the coach, Ian. Don't neglect the coach. You know, the Word of God is there designed to train you in righteousness. Amen? Ask your neighbor, have you been to the Word Gym recently? The Word Gym. Are you being trained in righteousness? Are you being educated and schooled in it? You see, elementary school is the positional righteousness received. But as you go to higher order things, you must allow the word of God to, to train you in it. Now, I'm going to look at various principles that attempt to clearly delineate these two positions of positional realities versus practical realities. Number one, Romans chapter 10 from verses 1. Brethren, my heart's desire... And pray to God for them. That's for Israel. Paul's talking about natural Israel. For them is their salvation. I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For not knowing about what? Not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their, their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of, of God. And it says... For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The law ended with Christ. Okay? 
And if anyone believes in Christ, he comes into a position called righteousness. Verse 5. Moses writes that the man who practices righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. The law had its own requirements to be right with God. So if the law is your template, then observe the law and be righteous according to the law. That's what Paul is arguing here. But, he says but. Everyone say but. Right? The moment you start a, a sentence in but, you're saying, you cancelling the force of the prior statement. In Paul's mind, he's saying, that was a previous error. So we, we passed that. Okay? Then he says, but the righteousness based on faith. I love this text. Everyone say righteousness based on faith. Right? The righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, we will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or we will, de we will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the requirement for being saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or Jesus as Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in what? Come on, how do you get that initial righteousness? You must just believe, accept him by faith. And that there's righteousness that results. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in sal salvation. Go on. What does the scripture say? Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed or ashamed. Right? For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Last verse 13. Whoever shall call on the, on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's nothing you could do by works to attain it. The requirement was belief in Christ and the gift of righteousness was given to, to you. Okay? Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Everyone say, by faith. Say, by faith. Now please track with me. I need to read these scriptures as a witness to your spirit. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ or of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek who's, who's, who's happy that you believed okay power of the gospel came to you okay and it was expressed in your life you believed in it and it became to you the power of God I am not ashamed of the gospel, because that gospel is power. Everyone says the gospel is power. But it's only power to the one who believes, because firstly it transforms the sinner into a believer. And I want to demonstrate later, that same power, which is the grace of God given to you, is designed to produce righteousness in which grace will further reign. Let me just say it right now. Could you generate your own righteousness when you are unsaved? Yes or no? No, right? So watch. How does this work? Works like this. Please listen. The grace of God produced righteousness. Everyone say the grace of God produced righteousness. 
You will read that in Romans 5. But now, being righteous, I must do works. I must, every one or aspect of my behaviors must be compliant with God's design. As I do the right thing behaviorally, guess what? I'm becoming practically righteous. Not so? In practice, what grace then does by virtue of my practical outworking of that righteousness, let's say in the department of my marriage, then grace further comes to reign. Everyone say grace reigns. Grace further comes to reign in this expression practically of mine call good works in reference to how I treat my wife. Right? Grace is looking for practical behavior. I'll say it again, lest you misunderstand me. I'm taking this slowly because what I need to say further might, might sound a bit confusing, but it, it works. I found it working in my own life. Watch. I could not save myself. Grace saved me. When I received the gift of salvation, grace came and grace produced righteousness. Having now been positionally righteous, I take the what? The word of God, my gym, that instructs me in all righteousness, how I should behave as an employer to my employee, how I should behave as a husband to my wife, as a father to my, to my kids, in reference to my brother in the, in the kingdom, in reference to my spiritual father or the one that is over me. I must make certain in every department of my life, I come compliant with the design. Everyone say the design. So when I do that, please watch church. I want to say it again. When I start to practically express it, I can only practically express it firstly because of grace. Do you know you can only obey God because of His grace? I taught that to you extensively. But having done the right thing, I recruit unto my life Further grace in which it reigns in that righteous or practical behavior. You heard who testified last week. Sherwin was informed or coached. Remember Sherwin's testimony last week? He's gone back to Egypt now. That boy is blessed beyond measure. I'm amazed at the favor of God upon him. But in the new job that he got now, sovereignly by God, they coached him how to handle himself in the interview. And the guy in the interview says, he's a safety officer manager. That uh, How many fatalities he said? He had five fatalities on the site in which they worked in Egypt. Now he's managing safety. So it's five negative marks to his name in terms of what he does. So the guy who was coaching him said, in this new interview for the new job, lie. Tell them, tell them when they ask you, did you have any fatalities on your previous job? Say none. Because if you say yes, it's going to work against you. What does, what does a righteous son of God do? Is, he, is Sherwin saved? Yes or no? Sherwin is saved. Positionally got the gift of righteousness. But now God in life expects him to practically be righteous. Do works to which he was ordained. So when the question came, did you have any fatalities in the interview on your prior job? And Sherwin, you heard him here, says he just could not lie. To lie would be to be unrighteous in an interview. What Sherwin did, he brought the approved eternal standard of God for how a son of God should conduct himself in an interview for a position in work. 
He brought that to bear upon his experience. And guess what happened? Instead of his answer working against him, God turned it. And the guys were impressed by his honesty. The interview was impressed. So what did you learn from that? And how can you take those experiences, having learned certain things, into this new job? And Sherwin told them. And before the interview is concluded, the job is yours. Everyone say, be truthful. Be a man of integrity. Just do the right thing every time. Do the right thing in all circumstances. Don't just say, I'm going to heaven, I'm fine. But I can do my own little things on the side here and not, and not think. What you do practically will impact you positionally. Not going to work, guys. Not going to work. Yeah? So I want to encourage you. This is critically important for your development. Another verse concerning this. Romans, check how this happened in Abraham's life. i got so many. I'll just do two more because of time. Uh, really. You know, I, I was so encouraged. Now you might say to me, Randolph, but doing the right thing is so hard. I'm saying no, not left to you. God will help you. God will give you the grace to do the right thing. The grace that generated your initial righteousness is the same grace that will empower your works from which grace will then further reign in. Yeah. Grace not only establishes righteousness, grace then encourages growth in righteousness. But when you do the right thing, further grace comes to couch and sit and reign in that righteousness. So what did Sherman have? Sherman have in his experience? Reigning grace. Everyone say reigning grace. Right? Reigning grace in, in righteousness. Amen? We're going to read Romans chapter 4. I want everyone to concentrate on this one because it can get quite involved. We're going to read a lot of scriptures because I'm convinced the Bible will change you. The Word of God will inform you. Watch how this plays itself out in this guy's life. Paul says concerning Abraham, What shall we say then that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has, has found? If Abraham was justified by works. Remember we say not justified by works, but by? So Paul is, you know, Paul was like a lawyer here when he writes this. He's like putting up a case He's about to make a very powerful point, but he's presenting the facts. Tell everyone we're in a court of law now. <laughs> uh, could you all rise? The judge is in session, right? Let's present the facts. Paul is talking, the lawyer, Paul, and he's referencing Abraham. He says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to, to boast about, but not before, but not before God. Then he says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for what? Or as righteousness. So how did Abraham become righteous? He simply believed God. Did he do anything for that? No. It was positionally. The word credited is an accounting term in the Greek. Simply implied EFT. It was reckoned. King James says reckoned to him as righteousness. God EFT'd righteousness into his spirit. Poof transfer. Righteous man, because you simply be believed. Verse 4, now to the one who works, his wages is not credited as grace or favor, but what is due. So if you work, 
you can't receive grace because you're working for, to earn salvation based upon your own efforts. But grace and the gift of righteousness uh, resultant from that is received. Okay? Verse 5, but to the one who does not work but believes. Okay, you don't work for salvation, but you simply believe. Everyone say, Lord, I believe in you. We sang it a few uh, moments ago. In him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as, as righteousness. You had faith in God. God. God regarded you, reckoned you, accounted you, put you in the, the balance scales and said, this man is right, righteous, compliant to my design because Abraham simply believed. Verse 5. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man whom God credits as or credits righteousness apart from works. You've got to track with me. Righteousness is given to them outside of what they did. Not because of what they did. Outside of works. Then, verse 7. And David writes, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. I don't know why, but I'm so grateful for salvation today. Who's grateful? Come on. Yeah? I'm so grateful that God saved us. Right? One damn. My sins have been covered or forgiven. Verse 8. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this the blessing? Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say... Faith was credited to Abraham as, as righteous. What Paul is arguing here, was it based on the fact that he circumcised himself or did not, that his faith was credited to him as righteousness? That's a question he's about to answer, right? Let's carry on. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? When? Not while circumcised, but while in other words, the circumcision didn't earn him points with God or right standing with God. It was credited to him while yet still being uncircumcised. The circumcision was a work that God ordained for him that he should then walk in. There's something he still had to do afterwards as good works to practically express what he originally attained positionally in Christ. Okay? This is very, very important. Verse 11. I need you to focus. Come on, everyone focus on the board. I need you to focus. And he received the sign of circumcision. That was afterwards. A seal of what? The sign, the circumcision was a seal, an indication of a reality that was attained be, before. Not so. It, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that it, he might be a father of all who believed without being circumcised that righteousness might be also credited to, to them. So what's the requirement? Everyone say, just believe. Come say, just believe. And that you will carry. Listen carefully. You just believe to get it. When you got it to do the work God called you to do, you simply then too have to just believe in what God called you to do by grace, through faith, and you're going to get further grace because of that. We make the gospel so complicated sometimes. Everyone say, just believe. Don't doubt God. Belief in God got you in the kingdom. 
but consistent belief in God is necessary. You believe all His promises. You believe, you believe Him as a God, your Father, in order for you to fully accomplish all that God has called you to do to practically express this righteousness. I want to banish unbelief from the building. Banish, I speak to you, banish unbelief from your system, from your mind. I'm going to place it now. You know, like I said, the higher order things are built up upon the foundational things. If foundationally all I had to do was believe by faith, those things I take with me into the higher order things and simply express them differently. Everyone say, just believe. What's, calling, what's God calling you to do? Just believe. Believe EFT stuff into you. Believe credits righteousness to you. Just believe. Don't doubt for one moment. What did the man say? Lord, I believe, forgive my unbelief. So everyone say, just believe God. What he called you to do now while being saved and see some stuff EFT to you. If you have a promise outstanding in your life, just believe. And see what the Lord would do. Okay? Verse 12. I need to just finish this quickly. And the father of the circumcision, that's the Jews, to those who not only are after the Jewish, the circumcision, but also those who follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he did while uncircumcised. There's, there, are, there are a few phrases in the New Testament you have to take and install into your spirit. One of them is the steps of our father Abraham. Say it with me. Come on. The steps of our father Abraham. Abraham's life is worthy of study. You have to know Abraham to follow his steps. Not so. Tell your neighbor, follow the steps of Abraham. In fact, just, I think it's Isaiah. Quickly look. I need to work past. I think it's chapter 5. Gee. Verse 1? Oh, no, no, no. Where's that verse? 50 verse 1? Oh, no. 50? 50? <laughs> Hallelujah. Let me look for it in my notes. Try, somebody try and find it for me. It says, look to Abraham and to Sarah, you who pursue righteousness. Look to the rock from which you were hewn. It's Isaiah, it's, it's verse 1 of a chapter. They're always told I know. Okay? Can somebody find it for me? Those of you who got stuff on your phones? Oh, yes, it's here. Oh, 51. Hallelujah. We're one chapter away. This is an amazing verse. And we're going to track Abraham later because the Bible says we must do that. It says follow his steps. Study his life and see how this guy was credited with righteousness, but also, too, he did works of righteousness to which grace was attracted. This verse says, Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you. Verse 1. Listen to me, you do what? Come on, who's pursuing righteousness here? Who's following? Who's desiring? This Bible says, Look to me, listen to me, you will pursue righteousness, you will seek the Lord, look to the rock, not Jesus, Abraham. Look to the rock, Abraham, from which you were hewn, and the quarry from which you were dug. Clarifies this in verse 2. Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah who gave birth to you in pain when he was but one 
I blessed him and I multiplied him. So Abraham demands study. I will encourage you for the next few weeks. Read the Abraham's life from the time God called him to the time he died. Everyone say there are steps there. And the steps of a good man or a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. The Bible says I must follow the, the steps. If I study Abraham's life, I can check protocols for growing in righteousness. EFT to me. But by works practically expressed, to which grace will be attracted. Romans 1, Romans 4 verse 12 again. Let's carry on from verse 13. Time anybody? Seven minutes. My wife doesn't tell me the time. She says seven minutes. <laughs> For the promise to Abraham, let's carry on reading, or to his descendants that he would be the heir of the world is not through the law, but through the what? Through the righteousness of faith. He's an heir of the world through righteousness. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is, is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is also no violation. I want to comment on this because of time. I only have seven minutes. I want to get to where <laughs> I want to get to where I really want to go. We could comment on each of these, right? For this reason, it is by faith, in order that, in accordance with grace, that the promise will be guaranteed to the descendants. That's you and I. Watch, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the Father of us all. As it is written, a father of nations, I have made you. That's God's promise to him. In the presence of him who believed. Everyone say, he believed. I can't stress this. He believed. Abraham believed. He was called in scripture, Abraham the believer. We have many unbelieving believers today. Don't be an unbelieving believer. Tell someone, be a believing believer. Even God who gives life to the dead and calls those things into, be, into being which do not exist. So watch. This is saying, God said to him, Abraham, father, nations. You are father of nations. He looks at his body, his wife's body. We're old. No son. Abraham says, you said it. I believe it. Even though physical circumstances contradict it, you said it. I believe it. I regard you call things that are not as though they are. I believe. Everyone say, I believe. And the Bible says God looked. Yo, Abraham so impressed God. When Abraham's faith was expressed to God, God says, wow, boom, righteous, EFT to you. By virtue of how you believe, it starts at salvation, but it continues throughout salvation. Never lose your belief. Verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead. He was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, 99 years old. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he was strong in faith. Everyone say strong in faith. He was strong in faith, giving glory to, to God and being fully assured that what God 
promised, he was also able to perform. I, can't, I could really go on a whole lesson on this verse. What God promised, he was able to perform. Let me just say, all of you, don't doubt what God has called you to be in Christ. Bruce, don't doubt your capacity to be all and do all as God expects of you. Lee, don't doubt my brother. Become all that God has made you to be. Believe God. You're saved by grace. The gift of righteousness to you, Rad One, has been given to you. Now that you're positionally right in standing with God, take the word of righteousness, your gym. Let that word instruct you. Every time you hear something from the word, Rakim, you hear it. Your response is, I believe it. I will never doubt because what got me in was belief and what will sustain me through is further belief. It never stops. But the more I believe and do, I couldn't do nothing initially to believe, but now having believed, I'm ordained for good works. And as I do the right thing with the right heart of faith and belief, guess what? Grace comes to me. And I become practically righteous in the thing God called me to do. And I will experience great results. One more verse of scripture, just to, to round this off. Galatians 3 verse 6. Listen carefully. I don't know about you, but I'm never going to doubt God again. It defies what we're doing globally, what we have locally. God takes the foolishness of the things of this world to confound the, the wise. Okay? And I'm saying to you, you know, we spend money on flights. Uh, we, we're spending money on so many different things. We're supporting a lot, of, a lot of things and issues, even presently, right now. And God said to me, if you're carrying on, believing. I came so close to aborting our CD project, just costing too much money. God said to me, don't stop. You believe. You believe and I'll make a way. Just believe. Just push the program. I'll, I'll, I'll ensure the outcome. Amen? Tell someone, just believe. Check this out. Galatians 3.6. Even so Abraham did what? He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are faith who are sons of Abraham. Okay? Those who are faith are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. Verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed. I like this. Are you of faith? Yes or no? Are you blessed? But you are blessed along with Abraham. So study his steps. Look to Abraham, you pursue righteousness. Track him. We'll do that if time permits. I really want to study the man's life. I want to take out everything I can have of Abraham. I'm going to pull every juice out of the man. Check what happened with you, bro. That God says, I must look to you, study you. I must follow your steps. What did you do that I can copy? If you are blessed by faith, I am blessed. I am of Abraham. Do you know that you are son of Abraham in Christ? Galatians teaches this. Every blessing this man came into, it's yours. James 2. We see, don't read James 2. Everything I've just read makes no sense. Yes, it does make sense, but... You've got to put the cherry on the top, right? <laughs> Just wrap it up, seal it, and, and, and bank it, right? Install it. Not so? Are you ready for the cherry on the top? 
James, which is unlike Paul, he's another apostle, this one. If anyone's a practical guy, it's James. James got no time for theories in his book. The most practical of New Testament books in the Bible is the book of James. One, two, three, four chapters. The most practical. He got no time for games, right, or theories. He wants to get down to the, the crux of the matter. Check what he says, verse 14. What use is it then, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no, no works? Can faith alone save him? Check how this guy argues. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Hallelujah, go in peace, my brother. Be warmed and be filled. And you do not give them what is necessary for their body. Remember, I said this guy got no time for nonsense. He says, if a need is presented to you, don't say, I'm praying for you, bro. Go well. We'll be praying here. He says, why not answer the need? Why not use what you have to you be the answer to his prayer? Not so? That's how James thinks, right? And so he says, what use is faith? Okay? Even so, faith, watch. If it has no works, it is dead, being by itself. But if someone may well say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith. How? By my works. Watch. When I do works because I am saved, works for which I am ordained, I testify then. To faith's presence. I do have faith. It's evidenced by what I do. Hallelujah. So we did start the CD project. That's evidence we have faith. What we do speaks out to God that we trust in you. Tell someone, start it now. I'm speaking prophetically to someone. Tell someone, start it now. Don't speak about it. That business you want, start it now. Don't forever hold it as an ideal in your heart. Show me. What's inside? By what you do. God sees Abraham's works. Watch, you'll see this, how James argues. Let's just finish this. It's almost done. Don't worry. If you believe God is one, you do well. The demons also believe this and they, they shudder. Don't tell me you believe. This guy is a no-nonsense apostle. He said, ah, got faith, you believe. But there's a devil next to you to believe. So what's a big deal? You believe, yeah? We must believe like I said, but take your belief now and do what? You believe God is one, you do well, the demons also believe and, and shudder. Verse 20, but are you willing to recognize your foolish fellow? <laughs> he says that faith without works is luto. Verse 21, what it, now, he picks up Abraham. Paul spoke about Abraham. He thinks about Abraham too. He's obeying Isaiah 51 verse 2, right? Was not Abraham our father? Now he says, justified by works. When what? When he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar. Paul, we just read Paul. Paul says, no works justified Abraham, so Abraham could not boast. Paul is right. No works could save us. But once saved, we are ordained for good works, for right behavior. Did you know when God said to Abram, now take Isaac and sacrifice him? 
James says, he did that because, I'm thinking, reading between the lines. James is saying, he did that because he was justified initially. But now the works that he does testifies to what happened prior. And the works he does now justifies him again before God. Verse 22. You see that faith was working with his works. I like this. Everyone say, you see? Faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Carry on. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend. I am a friend. We love to sing it. But we don't like the process of it. Yeah, he was called the friend of God because of what he believed. Let's just finish this off. Verse 24 up to 26. You see a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? All I'm saying to you, brethren, what you do, being saved, justified by grace through faith, what now you do in the kingdom, being a son of God, matters. It does matter. Don't love the world. It's going to affect you. Don't commit adultery, fornication. Don't watch pornography. Don't tell lies. Don't steal. Don't have the wrong company. Gonna affect you. What you do matters. All I'm saying is now do the right thing as an expression of your faith and let grace attend it. And you'll find yourself growing in, in righteousness. And then the last verse, 26, he says, But just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without Works is, is dead. First John 3, 7. I've got to give you this last one. Listen, little children. Make sure no one deceives you. Everyone say, make sure you're not deceived here. Now, yes, yes, a critical scripture. Make sure no one deceives you. Why? It says very clearly there. Who's, who's righteous? Who then is righteous? The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as Christ, he is right. Don't tell me you're positionally righteous and my practice doesn't matter. Your practice does matter. Tell someone you are a righteous practitioner. I call, I doctor you in the spirit. You're all doctors now. I confer upon you a doctorate in the spirit. You know, doctors practice medicine. They have their practices where people come. Now I doctor you. Right? You, on Facebook, change your profile, Dr. Shan Adesson. When people ask you, oh, you're a doctor. Oh, what is your practice? Your answer is righteousness. I practice righteousness. And let me say, don't be disheartened if you're not getting it all right now. I like the word practice. Everyone say, keep on practicing. <laughs> it's like the word, the more, the more faithful, the more you do it, you cement that thing in your life. How many of you, before you started tithing faithfully, it was every now and then. We were there. My both hands up. Failed God. Was unrighteous in how I administrated finances for a season until God forcefully spoke to me. Yeah? But 
let me just, Pastor Thomas said this in Kenya when we were teaching there. He said, if anything is a gym for him in life, it's finances. If anything God tests him and trains him at in terms of the quality of his spirit, it's how he administrates money. Amen. But tell you never, don't miss a workout. If you're taking notes, James says exactly the same thing in verse 10. Three verses later, verse 10. By this, the ah, you got to have the scripture. I love this. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. How are you going to show which is which? By this, it says clearly, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Don't tell me otherwise. Nor is the one that does not love his brother. Later on, I'll give you certain yardsticks for righteous practice. One of them is loving the brothers. Hallelujah. Amen. Sit down, but lift your hands to the Lord. Grace reigns in righteousness. In your hearts, just initially before I pray, just have a heart of gratitude for the gift of righteousness that God gave you. Nothing you could do to earn it. He blessed you, called you, made you righteous before Him. The Bible says God is righteous in all His ways. If He is righteous in all His ways, you must be righteous in every department of your life. Please be very serious now, brethren. Let me just say this to you as though God is speaking to you. God says to you, my son, my daughter, in the area where you've not practically Express righteousness in any department. I can hear the Father saying this to me, to say this to you now, brethren. The Lord says to you, I forgive you. Please receive this. The Lord says to you, I forgive you, my son. First John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? And to cleanse us from what? From all unrighteousness. He's faithful. Okay, my hands also up. God forgive me for this particular area. I want us just, before I pray, in this moment, no matter what you've done, no matter how you fail God, God will not allow me to share this word if he, wasn't, he doesn't want to cleanse the house. If you fail God, I declare to you, if your heart is right before Him and you are sorry before Him right now, the Lord says to you, I take your sin away by my blood and I cleanse you from that spirit of unrighteousness that wanted to attach itself to you. I take it away from you, my son. I take it away from you, my daughter. You have my gift of righteousness already within you. Now receive the grace by which you can live righteously. The Lord says to you today, my son, my daughter, you can because I made you like this. Just practice, receive instruction from the, from the word of righteousness that instructs you in righteousness. You can do it, my son, my daughter. I am a son and shield. Psalm 84 verse 11, he said, I give grace and glory. No good thing will I withhold from them that walk uprightly before the Lord. Lift your hands high before Him. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you. The Lord expose to you areas that need work. But in the exposure will also be the empowerment to resolve the matter. 
the Lord is faithful. I hear the Lord saying, I will, my son, my daughter, I will show you areas you need to work on. But my exposure of those areas to you is only going to be my empowerment for you to overcome. God never exposes and just leaves you there. He says, work on this because I'm going to help you now. I clearly hear, if ever I hear God, it is now because God says, I'm going to help you. Because your heart is right. You want to you be right. I will help you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you.